Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I'm your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you are joining me today. As you may know or may have heard, I am planning, organizing, hosting the first ever Talent Development Virtual Summit coming up on September 14th through 18th. And I hope that you'll be a part of it. It is free to register. Just go to talentdevelopmentvirtualsummit.com and you can register right there. We have 30 expert speakers talking about a lot of different topics around talent development, things like how to assess and get executive buy-in, how to build a great culture of engagement in a virtual world, how to enable our employees to own their careers, how to create great virtual programs, and of course, how to weave DEI throughout. And we know many of you care a lot about technology. So I'm doing something kind of special today. I'm taking one of my interviews for the summit with my friend Matt Burns, who is an HR technology expert and a virtual reality expert. He's also the host of the upcoming HR Global Summit, which is happening the week before mine. That's coming up on September 7th, I believe. And I am publishing that interview here today. So you can, number one, learn about everything going on in HR technology, especially about virtual reality. Number two, if this picks your interest, then uh, I suggest you go right away and register for Matt's Global HR Summit, which is coming up very soon. Just go to globalhrsummit.com and check that out. And number three, give you a taste of what some of the sessions are going to be like inside the Talent Development Virtual Summit. As I said, we've got 30 expert speakers across the board. Matt is one of them. And we've got pre-recorded interviews with all of them. So when you register, you'll be able to watch those on demand that week. You don't have to be present the entire week. You can pop in and watch some of those at your leisure. If you upgrade to our VIP ticket, you'll have lifetime access to those videos. You can go back and watch them whenever you want to. You don't have to watch them just that day or that week. Matt is an expert on everything HR technology. Like I said, an expert on virtual reality. He hosts his own podcast and he hosts the Global HR Summit. So again, check this out. If you are into technology and especially virtual reality and you're interested in learning more about VR, go to globalhrsummit.com 
and register. That's coming up September 8th through 10th, 2020. And the Talent Development Virtual Summit is the following week, September 14th through 18th, talentdevelopmentvirtualsummit.com. All right, that's enough promo. Here is my interview with Matt about HR technology and virtual reality. Enjoy. Are you ready to learn about the latest virtual learning and HR technology trends? Looking for new and innovative ways to engage your people in a virtual world? Well, you are in the right place because I have a great interview and session for you today. Hello, my name is Andy Storch, your host of the Virtual Summit, and I'm excited to introduce you to today's fantastic guest. Matt Burns is the founder of Bento HR and the Global HR Summit. He's an immersive work experience architect, the host of the Thinking Inside the Box podcast, and co-founder and head of learning experience at Hacking HR. Matt has won awards for HR Team of the Year and most innovative use of HR technology and is an expert on using innovative platforms like VR, AR, and XR for learning. And if you think this summit is cool, Matt just ran his own global HR summit in 3D virtual reality, which I can't wait to hear more about. Matt, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the Talent Development Virtual Summit. Happy to be here, Andy. So good to have you on. We've been connected for a while now, and I've been watching all the amazing things that you have been doing and you know, getting into, I know you know a lot about vert, uh, digital transformations, and of course, all of the learning technologies, things that are going on. And these, a lot of these things were you know, nice to have. Some of the coolest, most progressive companies were doing them over the last couple of years. But now, since COVID, we're in this virtual world, everybody needs to figure out how do we develop our people virtually. How have you seen the learning landscape change since COVID hit in March? Yeah, I think if you hit the nail on the head, which is a lot of these challenges around learning and scaling learning and finding technology solutions for some of the challenges around remote work or dispersed workforces, they predated COVID-19. However, COVID-19 has been a giant accelerant around these challenges as a more of a percentage of the workforce has now had to shift into, at minimum, a space that oscillates between the virtual and the physical, or in some cases, they'll be virtual for an indefinite period of time. So what I'm seeing is more organizations really tackle inertia and be more open to different kinds of technologies to solve the issues that we're talking about, whether that is using virtual reality or even just simply being more thoughtful about how do you combine digital with in-person learning experiences, instruction, course development, and just trying to equip employees and their leaders with more tools so they can take on self-directed learning, really in service to closing skill gaps, building competencies, or addressing some real strategic issues. Yeah, absolutely. And when you think about this big shift, right, from there were progressive, cool companies that were already doing a lot of digital stuff, but there were a lot of companies that were doing almost nothing. And overnight, everybody's being asked or trying to figure out how to leverage technology to develop people virtually, engage people virtually, and all of them have to leverage different types of technology. What are some of the biggest challenges and roadblocks that have been getting in the way for organizations trying to do that? I still think it's inertia. So I still think for the majority of people, and let me be clear, Andy, like I want to state my limitations. I wasn't a virtual reality advocate until early 2020. I was looking at digital transformation in the context of systems procurement, systems integrations, data, dashboarding of analytics. Like that to me is where my mind was at because my experience mostly working with large organizations is that they have a lot of tools, but they're dissipated that not leveraging or haven't leveraged appropriately over the course of the time that they've had it that they're focused on the wrong activities. And I think as we go forward, 
there's now a greater appreciation that we have to do things differently, that the traditional methods of instruction. So, you know, Andy, if you know anyone in this audience or yourself that learns best by PowerPoint slides and lectures, please introduce them to me. I don't know that person. Most of us learn through simulations, through tactile learning, through group-based collaboration, discussion. Yet the most of the educational programs, whether it's university programs or corporate learning, really leverage the traditional methods of instruction, which is very top-down and very much instructor-centric and not learner-centric. Now, virtual reality, for example, is the complete opposite of that. So it creates an immersive experience for the learner where we actually can build custom simulations that exposes them to scenarios, activities, responsibilities, or experiences that they could be leveraging to enhance their knowledge, to build their toolbox, and to build out their toolkit more broadly. Let me give you a couple different examples. So I think the perception is, as you mentioned, that these innovative, leading-edge companies, they're the ones doing this. That's not entirely true. So I don't want to disparage these organizations, but here are some really well-known organizations now that are using virtual reality. KFC today is teaching employees how to dip fried chicken with virtual reality today. And the reason is that they've determined that the path to productivity, the adoption and the integration of knowledge happens more quickly because the science supports this when you're using immersive technologies. So the consequence of that is that they spend less time training employees and retraining employees. They don't need to have a trainer present with the employee. And the employee, when they actually join the workforce, experiences less time loss injury, less knowledge leak, and they're more productive more quickly, which is a win for everybody involved. The employee gets an immersive, cool, integrated experience. KSC saves some money. Employees get less hurt. It's a win for everybody. That's one example. Another example is Hilton, the hotel chain. They've been teaching now housekeeping staff how to be empathetic to guests by simulating interactions with guests who may have complaints or concerns or observations about property or their work. And they put them through these simulations that are dynamic in that it teaches the staff to interact with customers. And in a safe environment, if they make mistakes or if they have learnings, they can pause it, rewind it, play it over again. So think of that almost being like your typical, you know, in those in-person training sessions, that role-playing session, we can role-play now with VR and create dynamic environments that are reflective of the person's actual job experience and expose them to things that, again, they'll need to learn. Now, a more extreme example of this, I've seen tools that are actually teaching frontline workers with respect to first responders. So these are police officers, firefighters, paramedics, nurses, doctors, social workers, exposing them to environments that, frankly, most of us can't fully appreciate. I haven't shown up at a crime scene where there's been a horrible tragedy. I haven't had to deliver very heartbreaking news to a family member or to a friend. These are things that, unfortunately, these professionals are underappreciated for, and they do on a, on a semi-regular or a consistent basis. And as you can appreciate, that takes a significant emotional toll on anybody. So we can do this two ways. We can expose them to these elements, and then we can try and triage and, and help them after that, or we can expose them proactively and give them a sense of what they can expect so they can build the tools and the resilience and the, if you will, the methods of integration so that when they experience these troubling events, they're not having to have suffer as a consequence of that. So it takes therapy in this context from being reactive to now being proactive. We see it being used reactively when it comes to veterans returning back from Afghanistan or from other parts of the world where they've, again, experienced horrible things. But what we're doing now is we're helping them after they come back. What I love about this technology is you can create simulations that expose people to things in small increments up front so it builds that resilience, whether it's a phobia around spiders 
or something more complicated like post-traumatic stress disorder. Starting with the power of experiential learning, something I've been big on for years, because as you said, there aren't many people that love to learn through PowerPoint and lecture, even though most of the learning going on out there, or most of what's presented is the traditional webinar form, right? And even what we're doing right now, we're presenting a, a presentation to people and giving a talk. We wanted the goal is to try to make things more experiential. And with VR, you're making it even more immersive. I can imagine a lot of people nodding their heads going, okay, wow, this sounds like it could be really beneficial, but I'm terrified of this technology. How do I make this work? Like, how do you go do it? And let me be clear. Like I said before, I want to state my own limitations. Up until 2020, I was along with everybody else. I've built hundreds of learning programs in corporate environment that included PowerPoint slides and talking points and lectures. Hundreds for leadership, for diversity and inclusion, for operational training, for customer service training. Like I've architected, designed, and built them all. And I, like a lot of HR leaders or business leaders, don't have an instructional design background, don't have a learning science background, but I learned from people that taught me skills that I then brought into my own practice, believing I was doing the right thing. And then as a consequence, wasn't spending enough time asking myself, is there a better way of doing things? And I think COVID-19 clearly is a tragedy. It's affected the entire globe in ways that we can't fully appreciate because I have been fortunate in that my family's healthy, I'm healthy, I haven't experienced a significant job loss as a result of the pandemic. However, it's given me space to look at the problem and then therefore some of the solutions that can solve this problem. So for the folks out there listening going, maybe I'm doing some of these things that aren't right. That's okay. You're in good company. The majority of the world right now is doing things the traditional way. That's the way we've been taught. Now, here's the cool thing. The science supports it. So when I've done the research and gone back and reports with Stanford and Yale and MIT, and I would encourage folks, I can send some links, we can provide the research, it's there. It shows that experiential learning increases learner adoption around knowledge, increases skills retention, increases skills transfer. Honeywell, again, talking about an organization here, they've actually put mixed reality headsets into their onboarding process because what they do is experienced colleagues will teach new colleagues and they'll overlay the traditional Honeywell training with specific advice from the seasoned colleagues that they put into mixed reality headsets. So the employee is getting a combination of, if you will, the template boilerplate learning, but with real life, like almost like having a peer side by side, helping them think through this training, which again, scales the opportunity for application and increases knowledge retention and knowledge attraction. Now, the beauty of that is, in addition to this being an incredible learning experience, which, Andy, let's be honest, it should be enough. Like, that should be enough of a reason to do this. The fact of the matter is that cost comes into play. So there's a perception that virtual reality is very expensive. I have to buy a headset. I have to have the right technology in place. We're not set up for this, man. I'm a small business. I hear this a lot. Here's the cool thing. I worked for organizations, and I'll be kind, that were frugal. I've never had the luxury of an operational or capital budget, even as a CHRO, that increased year over year. My budget was always reduced. And I always had to self-fund my own crazy ideas. That was, you know, Matt, you want to do this? Great. You find a way to pay for it and you can do whatever you want. So I've gotten very good at building business cases to find mutual benefit and in such a way that gives enough of a buffer that the value is clear. So when I build a business case, for example, on learning technology, I'll bake in the cost of the VR headset and I'll balance it with a faster path to adoption, I can shorten training by 20 or 30%, which when you back out the wages of the trainer, the trainee, it more than covers the cost of a headset. The challenge will then be is how do you do it at scale? 
And how do you use the technology for the right use cases? Because it's not fit for everything. So let me be clear. VR is not the solution for all the world's problems, but it is a compelling solution for things where you want to increase intimacy of communication. So I think about recruitment. I think about learning and development, I think about performance management, but it's not meant to replace phone calls or Zoom calls or emails or instant messaging. Each of those have their own utility. The challenge is we've been using those two-dimensional communication tools for three-dimensional communications. And that's the challenge. And VR, other than us being in the same room, which unfortunately right now is not possible with this pandemic, the best way we can do this is through a virtual reality environment where you are fully immersed in the room with the other person. And that is the real selling the value proposition. So once we accept the science is there, that the economics is there, then the only remaining barrier is adoption. And that comes to your point, which is fear or the belief that I'm not the right person or my organization isn't the right organization to adopt this. So I would say this to people thinking that. So if it's a fear question, send me a note, send me an email, find me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to spend time with anybody to have the conversation. I've gone through this journey myself. In early 2020, I believe virtual reality was a gaming tool. My brother and his, my nieces and nephews would play games on VR. It was a fun family event. That's what I saw it as. But when I started to think about this tool in terms of its intentionality for things like I mentioned, performance management, recruitment, training development, and I put a different lens, pardon the pun, on the conversation, I realized, wow, this actually solves a significant amount of problems if we can pair it with the right kind of environments and right kind of solutions. So if the issue is fear and knowledge, I would encourage folks to educate themselves or reach out to me directly because the science supports it and the economics support it So really, it comes down to adoption. And you mentioned earlier the Global HR Summit. Really, spoiler alert, that was a giant Trojan horse. That was an opportunity for me to bring several thousand of my closest business colleagues into a room and for many of them experience virtual reality for the first time. And the feedback that I received was very reminiscent of what I just said to you, Andy, which is they had no idea that it could be used for this. They had no idea the power and the potential that it could unlock for them as not only individuals, but as leaders and as organizations. So it's one of those things where I can explain this and we could talk for hours and hours and hours about use cases and pricing and business cases. It's not going to really resonate until you put on the headset. So for those folks who have some curiosity, have some interest, I would encourage you, borrow a headset. Find somebody in your connection. Even if it's your children or it's your kids' networks, find a headset, try it. And then if you don't believe what I believe, send me a note and tell me that too. I'd love to hear that because to me, every person I've talked to, and I've put 25 Fortune 500 executives into VR headsets over the last eight weeks for the first time, every single one of them has sent me a note and said, wow, I didn't expect this. This is so much more than I thought. Thank you for giving me this experience. And several of them have already decided to apply virtual reality technology now inside of their organizations because they've had the firsthand experience. We can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, but you have to experience it for yourself. Yeah, that's so interesting. And it's like the new take on the old mantra, you know, don't knock until you tried it, right? Give it a shot. Try your vegetables before you say you don't like them. And I had my experience back in January when I hosted my first conference, Talent Development Think Tank. We had a VR company there in our tech cafe and I put a headset on. It was a, uh, a DEI kind of awareness situation where I got to be a woman in a meeting in a man's world and you know, see what it's like and I was angry, you know, I really experienced it. And I can see the effectiveness of that, which is really cool. And I love what you did with Global HR Summit. You brought so many thousands of people together to really experience that. And you're changing a lot of hearts and minds. My next question is more, again, on the practicality of like, if you're in an office, you could have some shared headset, right? That a lot of people could use. 
But now when you talk about scale in a COVID world, in a virtual world, are you sending headsets out to all of the people, all to your employees to use at home? Are they sending those around? Are they getting their each of their own? I know this is you know, more tactical, practical, but this is what I imagine a lot of people are wondering, like, how do I make this work for some of my development programs? So we've talked a lot about virtual reality, which is far and away the most immersive experience. And to participate in virtual reality, you need a headset. Now, headsets start from the Google Cardboard, which you can procure for about $20 in the US, all the way through to very expensive gaming headsets, which are in the thousands of dollars, which are used more for transferring holograms, having real-life replication of experiences where you need more data to flow through the headset. The vast majority of users, including myself, use more what's an individual device, like an Oculus Quest or an, or, you know, an Oculus Go or an HTC Vive, which are, in most cases, you know, $400 to $600 per unit, which could be a limiting factor for organizations if they're considering buying these for every single person in the organization if you don't think about the use cases for it. So let me give you an example. I was talking to a CHRO four days ago who now runs an organization that supports an organization of 250 employees. They previously had office space that they leased out at about $40,000 a month for the office space, which they're using between the office hours of 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., five days a week, excluding holidays, excluding vacations, excluding weekends. So in that case, they're paying $40,000 a month for space that they're using less hours and they're actually then in spaces available. So it's like, it's like half utilization rate. And what they've done is they've said, hmm, in this COVID-19 world, we're obviously not going to all come back to the office ever. We're going to have rotational office situations or we're going to give people the option work from home or work from the office. Either way, they need to downsize. So they've taken their office space and cut it in half. So now they're spending $20,000 a month instead of $40,000 a month. So now they have $20,000 a month to either put in the bottom line, to put into other activities in the organization, or to make investments. And this CHRO, having had the experience of virtual reality through the conference, has said, hey, I want to allocate a portion of that for headset procurement. But to do that, I need to justify the cost within my organization because my CEO and my board aren't going to let me spend tens of thousands of dollars on VR headsets on a whim. They want to see the business case. So he's built a business case on three uses. The first one is they're using it for customer prospecting. So now they use it for their sales process. They actually ship headsets to their prospective clients and put them through an immersive virtual reality sales experience. Because in addition to an employee application, there's a customer application. And the challenges that employers are experiencing in engaging and inspiring employees in a two-dimensional way, salespeople are, are experiencing trying to work with customers. Because as you can appreciate, conversion rates drop materially when you don't have a personal relationship and you're trying to close deals over Zoom or over email. Before, we would fly to an office, we'd rent a hotel, we'd pay for rental cars, we'd buy meals, there'd be an entertainment budget, and you'd do that a few times and hope that you close some deals. Well, now we can't fly, we can't spend money in hotels, we can't get rental cars, and the food was never that good to begin with. So now what we're doing instead is they're shipping headsets at $500 a pop and asking the prospect to meet them in virtual reality, and they're closing more business deals through that method than they actually used to close before in person because you can create an immersive experience that actually is customizable. So we can build a world for somebody that is unique. I can, if you want to have a meeting in the African Savannah, great. You want to have a meeting next to the Eiffel Tower? We can have that. We can build whatever we want and put the prospect and the client in that space and have them interact with a PowerPoint presentation, with a virtual world. Bento HR, my organization, we sell digital transformation consultancy services, which is a very opaque term that very few people understand, including me half of the time. But it's better to explain that through a 30-minute journey where I can take you through 
a long conversation through multiple environments and explain what it actually means for you. And it helps the customer better understand a complex offering rather than me just showing PowerPoint slides and stats and images or the logos of companies that I've worked with. So from a sales application, there's also a benefit. But back to your question, which is how do you scale this for organizations? It's about finding the right use cases. So for this client, they've determined that sales is one application. Another application for them is recruitment. They've started to do recruitment now for executives and for very technical positions through virtual reality to give that candidate an experience with the employer when they can't be physically in the same space, whether they're in the same city or anywhere around the world. The third thing they're using it for is team meetings. So they have decided to make a significant investment and start to buy quantities of headsets. And they're now piloting this with individual work units, HR being one, where they're starting to have team meetings, town halls, weekly standups, scrum meetings, but everyone's in the same room now because they're all in virtual reality. And then last but not least is they're actually having this tool be used for training internally. So now they're training their employees on everything from company culture, company history, policies, procedures, processes, and they're now using the headset in four different ways. We had a conversation as early as yesterday. They're now using it for a fifth way, which is they're actually going to take their existing clients through and give them a summary on how they're performing relative to their expectations of their product and service. So now they're using the tool as a retention tool for their existing clients as well. So that's five use cases for the same headset. And yes, it requires you to buy a headset and engage with your client. But if you view it as a replacement or a substitute for investments that are already occurring, take away your travel budget, take away your entertainment budget, take away your food and your rental cars and your hotel budgets, take away your office space in terms of your corporate real estate space, take away the money you spend on trainers and trainees. Think about how much faster people can adapt knowledge. You can find offsets and substitutes for these cases. This CHRO has now deployed this in his business. He's actually saved the company money, enhanced the experience. They're closing more sales. It's literally a win-win-win for everybody around it. But the issue is what you just mentioned. His executive team needed to be convinced. They needed to put a headset on for the first time because they didn't believe it. They thought it was way too out there. We're a company that does things based on relationships. We need to meet people face-to-face. That's the cornerstone of our business. Well, unfortunately today, again, that's not an option. So we're looking at what can we do that most closely replicates that in-person experience. And I think as people get more comfortable with the technology, they'll actually find that in some cases, it's actually a preferred option because you can look at reducing your overheads and make the investments in things that actually are engaging your employees and better aging your customers. And that's so interesting and uh, very compelling. And also, I'm a little upset now that you and I are just doing this over Zoom from our homes when we could have been at a cafe in Paris and done this over a coffee next to the Eiffel Tower. I'm going to send you a headset next time. We're going to have some croissants. We'll get some cafe. We'll get some music in the background. It'll be great. You've convinced me on VR. There's definitely uh, so many great uses for this. And I see how companies are leveraging it, not just for development programs, but uh, recruiting and customer acquisition, all that sort of stuff. What other learning technologies should be on the radar for people as they're developing their more robust virtual learning programs these days? So I love this question for a number of reasons because, and I'll state my bias up front, I love to learn and I hate education. Because to me, education symbolizes bureaucracy and it symbolizes a very instructor-centric method of knowledge transfer. And that's just not the way that things should be. In the same way I've grown up in the retail customer service environment, we always put the customer at the center of all of our thinking. I don't know why we haven't applied that same methodology for the learner in education, but it's been slow to change. It's happening, but it's been slow. 
So when I think about learners-centric type experiences, I think about customized learning pathways. And I think about taking the learner from where they are to where you need them to be. And the destination on mass could be the same place. Maybe the question is you want your management team to, as you pointed out earlier, be more inclusive around diverse cultures, around diverse thought leaders, around other experiences. So you want them to get to a certain point, but they're all starting from different points. They've all had different life experiences, different training programs, different organizations they've worked for that have gotten to some level of you know, where they are today with individualized learning tools, including artificial intelligence, and then with the back end with the data and the analytics off of it, you can determine where people are at, grab a baseline, and then close that individual gap and curate learning experiences for them that actually fit the needs of the learner. Don't just force every single person to go through the exact same content, because for some, it's repetition. For others, it's going way too fast. You can build a program and a pathway using technologies to do that. Now, a couple of tools you would need to do that. Of course, you would need an LMS that has the capability to have tools that are AI-enabled. You need to have more robust learning programs that have multiple different paths, like choose your own adventure. So you can assess the learner up front and then you can put them through the pathway that makes most sense for them. Then you also need analytics in the background to assess the capabilities of the individual and the progression. Because ultimately, Andy, you know this more than most, learning is one of those areas that unfortunately is first on the line to get reduced or cut altogether when organizations are looking for money. I have had countless conversations with CFOs and CEOs and CTOs and boards about, Matt, we need to find some money to hit the next quarter's revenue target or cost target. Can we reduce the training budget by $100,000? So my first question will be like, where did the number come from? Well, that's the number we need to save. And this just seems to be easy. So can we just do this? So then you have to be able to have the analytics to say, well, yeah, we can reduce the budget by as much as you want. But here's the consequence of reducing that $100,000 investment in terms of lost productivity, higher turnover, you know, and then perhaps customer experience in some cases. So without the analytics of being able to show the actual impact, the so what of what the learning is trying to accomplish, you're going to be in tough, especially in times right now where finances are constrained in most organizations, to be able to justify why you're making these investments. And before people say things like, well, it shouldn't be, it should just be common sense and employees should just get learning. That's not the way the world works. It's not the way that other organizations treat their marketing functions or their IT functions or their strat functions. They all have to build business cases and they all are called on the carpet when they don't realize ROI consistent with the investment. HR needs to accept the fact that we need to carry that mantle as well and be much more open to tools around measurement to demonstrate the efficacy of the work that we're doing, if for no other reason than to give ourselves credit for helping advance a workforce to either close knowledge gaps, close skill gaps, or close competency gaps. Because learning is a smart investment when it comes to your people. It does improve retention. It does improve engagement. It does improve innovation and customer and employee experiences. But you can't prove that. Then you're having to compete for finite resources against other leaders in the organization who can prove the efficacy of their actions. And I've been around enough boardroom tables to know that oftentimes every single business case around the table is a compelling business case, but they only can choose so many. So if you don't have a business case, then you're already off the list before you even get started. But if you do have a business case, now you're in the ring and you get a chance to have a conversation. And the more data you have, the more you can work with your leaders to be able to make those investments on a go forward basis. So that's the way we got to think about learning around technology is what tools should we be having They're going to help advance our interests, which are to help support the learners in the organization. And if the tools that we have in place aren't doing that, then we should look at getting different tools. So it goes both ways. It's not working. We should change it. And we have sometimes this fear of measurement because we're concerned it's not going to be able to demonstrate the efficacy. Well, if we have that concern, then we should be changing our programs because we shouldn't be throwing money down a well. The money can be used for a whole bunch of other more useful things. 
if your learning experience is static and it's two-way and it's disengaging and the retention or the application of knowledge is very, very low, stop wasting people's time and money. Rebuild the programs using proper tools or stop training and do things right. It's better to train somebody the right way or do nothing than to train somebody in a dissatisfactory way. I mean, that's the piece that I'd want to convey. So whether it's AI, whether it's analytics, whether it's VR, it's building those use cases, real strong business case around them, and then being able to quantify the efficacy of what you've been able to do. Absolutely. Love that. Making the business case, connecting it to the business strategy, and then making sure it's effective. Last question I have for you, Matt, is uh, when you think about all these the technologies, one thing that's really top of mind for a lot of people in talent development these days is improving diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm wondering, what have you seen work really well with any of the learning technologies you're involved with, with VR or anything else that has helped move the needle or measure impact or change when it comes to DEI? I love that it's two white guys having this conversation, yeah. by the way. Like, this is great. We can. We're allowed to. <laughs> we can. We, and we should be having this conversation. It's not somebody else's responsibility. Right. Right. And the reality is, still in far too many organizations, people who look like us are making the decisions around budget allocation, around resource allocation, around strategic priorities. So the fact that we're having this conversation, I think is a really good first step. What I would say to that as I go back to the VR piece. Now, here's the thing, Andy, you and I, in our hearts, I know you as an individual, we've had many conversations. I know that you genuinely care about people. And I know that you genuinely care about diversity, equity, and inclusion. However, you and I have never had the experience of what it's like to be somebody who's a person of color, or somebody who is LGBTQ+, or somebody who has a disability of some sort, we can relate to it. We can have empathy for it. We can watch documentaries. We can see books. We can read articles. And we can take away something from that. But the integration of that knowledge, where we actually would apply learnings differently, or take different steps and change the way that we look at the world, won't happen through two-dimensional mechanisms. And that's been the challenge traditionally with most tools. It's been, watch this video, listen to the speaker, you know, go through this exercise. And these things are just, they're two-dimensional. They don't convey the emotion. They don't convey the feeling. And you mentioned earlier, you've been through an experience in virtual reality. That, in my opinion, is the solution. Because you can give somebody a firsthand experience of what it's like to be, as you mentioned, a woman in a board meeting. Or I've seen ones where it's a person of color walking down the street who's being bombarded with racial discrimination comments. You can put somebody in that experience and you feel it not entirely the same, but you certainly feel a lot more inside than you do if you read a really good BuzzFeed article or watch a really compelling documentary on Netflix. You feel this. And as a consequence of that, you are probably, and more likely than not, going to make significant changes in how you see the world, which will ultimately, because of the way that you are wired, govern some changes around how you approach different situations, different problems, or approach the, the ideation of different solutions. So for me, this is where virtual reality becomes very compelling, whether it's in a DE&I complex, but even more broadly, a leadership context. There are far too many leaders that are, are skewing more towards being cautious and conservative around interacting with employees because they're afraid to make a mistake. We're in a culture of Me Too, Black Lives Matter, and in the US, major political ramifications of choosing one over the other. Leaders, therefore, are defaulting to doing nothing. They're not engaging. They're leaning back. They're not leaning in because they don't want to make a mistake. They don't want to be canceled. They don't want to get fired. They don't want to be on social media for the wrong reasons. So they default to doing less out of fear for what could happen, not maliciously by something that may, you know, a mistake or a bad habit that they've created. And what we should be focusing on rather than yelling at each other back and forth is saying, hey, this has got to be different. 
And we need to give these people the experiences and the learnings in a safe environment where you don't have to learn by working your shit out in other people. You actually can learn by going through experiences and then replicating those experiences. And we can pause it and go, hey, can't say that. That's inappropriate. Or hey, did you consider the implications of how you approach that? And we can talk through situations in a simulated environment, whether it's in a DEI context or a leadership context, and help people get more confident in themselves and how they show up in these environments, which for them may be unique and foreign to them. So that when they are facing these in real life, they show up how they want to show up, which is warm and caring and inclusive, which is the vast majority of leaders that I talk to fall into that category. It's a very small percentage of people who are not of that mindset. The vast majority I talk to, they're just afraid. They're just afraid to make a mistake. So if we can give them experiences that makes them more comfortable, I think we're going to see more engaged leaders, both in the DEI context, but just also more broadly in the leadership context. That excites me because that's been a missing link. I don't know about you, Andy. I've been in multiple organizations, Fortune 1000 companies, multiple industries for 25 years. People look to me now as like, in some cases, a thought leader or somebody who shares content. I've never gone through a formal leadership program. I've learned through the school of hard knocks by making mistakes, by getting feedback. And the reason I was able to make those mistakes is because I showed up vulnerably. I got great leaders and great mentors who were able to give me you know, little tips and tricks along the way. I was intentional about the experiences that I put myself through by way of my career. But not everybody has those benefits. We can replicate those experiences and we can make it less painful for everybody involved if we use technologies like virtual reality to break down those barriers. That is powerful and a great way to wrap things up. And uh, I want to go back to a quick summary of some of the things we, the so many things that we covered in this conversation. We talked about how the learning landscape has changed under COVID, the challenges getting in the way of leveraging technology like VR, the importance of leveraging experiential and immersive learning over things like PowerPoint and traditional webinars and lectures, how virtual reality can create that immersive experience for the learner, how to start using VR in your organizations and how we can scale that and overcome some of the fears and cost barriers and things like that, as well as how companies are using VR to close more business in different situations, other learning technologies and experiences, AI, things like that, customized learning paths, why you need an LMS with AI, why we need to pay attention to analytics, and finally, the importance of using VR to improve the DEI experience and improve the empathy of our leaders, of people out there, especially those that look like you and I. Just a lot of valuable information here. Matt, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, follow you, I was going to ask where they want to go and where they should go. And also, I know you just ran the Global HR Summit, which introduced this VR concept to tons of people. Is there still a way to go back and watch some of those? Is there, are there replays available? How can people find out more information? Yeah. So first off, thank you for the opportunity to have a conversation. I always enjoy our chats, Andy. And you know, I can't wait to do it again in different contexts as we talk about the rest of this year and as we seek to help equip business leaders with the tools they need to be more effective. So I'm excited about that. If anyone gets a hold of me, and we talked about a lot of stuff today, you mentioned it. So if any of this stuff kind of half landed, but you have questions or you have comments or you have concerns, find me on LinkedIn. I live on that platform, Matt Burns HR. You'll see my face on there. I put out content every single day in a number of different contexts, not just VR, but culture and learning and business and economics. Happy to share those conversations. And then as well, yes, you can find more information about the summit, globalhrsummit.com. We'd have recorded the entire conference. So we had keynotes from Tom Furness, the grandfather of virtual reality, Budicic, who is an inspirational speaker at lifewithoutlimbs.org. And we had a collection of over two dozen business leaders in HR from the largest companies on the planet talking in panels and in podcasts and in workshops. We've curated all of that content 
It's all available, globalhrsummit.com. There'll be links to our YouTube channel, to our social media links, to me directly. Check it out. You will see some of your favorite and most recognizable people, but in Avatar. Interesting. All right. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for coming on and sharing so much valuable information. Uh, This was fantastic for me. And thank you to all of you who tuned in for this session. Make sure you write down what are those points that you learned? What are those things you want to go out and try? Reach out to Matt if you need to. And if you haven't already, make sure you get your all-access pass so you can go back and watch this again, as well as all the other presentations we have and get access to our live Q&A with Matt as well. And with that, I will say goodbye and we'll see you on the next session. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again and take care.